dig the podcast, kids. Well, I didn't get any emails from anybody saying that they were tired of Monster Bash coverage, so you're going to get more coverage of last month's Monster Bash here on episode 428 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, and person who really wishes Monster Bash was happening right now. Derek M. Cook, how's everybody doing? Welcome to the show. I am thrilled to dive into the audio that was captured at Monster Bash last month to share with you even more of what happened at the best convention for Monster Kids, the best convention I've ever been in. Monster Bash is it. It. Anyway, so we're going to do things a little differently in this episode. So a couple of different things I'm going to share with you. Now, I did have recording sessions at the Monster Kid radio table, and you're going to hear some of that here. You're going to hear me speak with Kuzaba from The Patient Creatures. You're going to hear me speak with author Gregory William Mank. And you heard him at the top of the show. You're going to hear a quick chat with actor Christopher Neem. He's going to talk to me briefly at the table. I didn't want to take too much of his time because he was signing pictures and meeting the fans and just was oh so gracious with everybody. I didn't want to keep him all to myself. So it's a shorter chat, but to make up for that, we have audio from the Q&A featuring Christopher Neem. Now, I did something different with that audio. I get a little uncomfortable sometimes playing audio of Q&A sessions and panels and things like that without getting the permission of everybody you're going to hear in that recording. You know what I mean? Now, to kind of avoid that, I did cut out some of the Q&A, specifically uh, the host, the person running the Q&A. I never really spoke to him. And some of the people asking questions from the audience. However, some Monster Kid Radio regulars were in the crowd, so you are going to hear from Kenny, and you are going to hear from Stephen D. Sullivan. They were both asking questions of Christopher Neem, a.k.a. Johnny Alucard. So you'll hear their voices. But to kind of set up some of the things that Mr. Neem said about some of the other movies he worked on, I'm going to do something a little different. You're just going to have to listen to hear what I did. Also, the thing about these events at these conventions, I like to capture as much as I possibly can, but I can't get it all because I'm at the table. So again, big thanks to Mike Ramsey for capturing this particular audio and sending it my way to use here on Monster Kid Radio. Mike is a writer for Scary Monsters Magazine and somebody that I'm finding myself emailing two or three times every other day. The guy's great. And uh, just big thanks, Mike, for you know, hooking me up with this and hooking up the listeners of Monster Kid Radio with this audio. And finally, about the audio from the Q&A. You're not going to hear everything. I mean, you're going to hear most of it, but sometimes, you know, I want to hold a few things back, partly because it might not be relevant, but also, you know, there's really just nothing like being there in person. Of course, there's no way I'd hold back from you this juicy tidbit where Christopher Neem was talking about, well, what happened after they shot the bathtub scene in Dracula, A.D. 1972. I had a dinner date with a rather special lady at the end of the show. And um, for some reason, the makeup crew all had dinner dates as well. And so to get all that stuff off my face would have taken forever, but they kind of left me there. And, uh, you know, that was the end of that date. 
or later on when somebody asked him if he kept anything from the sets of any of the movies that he worked on. I'm not someone who's into nostalgia. I know that sounds a bit weird, but I, I, I don't like to keep things. I don't like to keep photographs. I don't like to keep... I, I, I like to sort of, in a way, live in the now, you know, and just move on. This was part of my history and great. And I think it You'll hear more of that from Christopher Neem later in this episode. In fact, you're probably going to hear it near the end of the show. But after the Christopher Neem conversation and the Q&A and all the other chats that I had with people, you're going to hear from me and Scott Morris. Um, <laughs> Scott and I ended up recording at Monster Bash on a Sunday morning, and I hadn't completely woken up yet. So I'm a little less on point than I feel like I normally am. And Scott wasn't making it any easier. <laughs> uh, that, that guy is just amazing. I, I just love hanging out with Scott. So I did not really edit the conversation I had with Scott too much. I left nearly all of it in, including the people that came up to our table thinking we were registration for Monster Bash and uh, kind of, <laughs> you know what? You're just going to have to listen to it for yourself. I'm not going to ruin anything here. It's just as a fun chat. And of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio if we didn't have Kenny's Famous Monsters of Filmland segment. So that's what's coming up in this episode. Why don't we go ahead and get into all of that right after this. The monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about, the spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that!
everybody. This is Heidi Bennett of Vibrant Visionaries Podcast and Spinal Tap Minute Podcast. And this is a quick little promo for an upcoming event, and it's Movies by Minutes Portland. We're going to be meeting up in Portland, Oregon on Saturday, August 24th for live podcasting games. On the stage, we've got the Movies by Minutes guys from Star Wars Minute. Actually, it's going to be a mashup of Star Wars Minute and the Godfather Minute. The newly pod game, Rick from Mad Max Minute is going to be hosting that. Vibrant Visionaries, where I'm going to have the fellas from Open the Podcast Doors, Hal, <laughs> which I think you could probably figure out which podcast that is. And then just added... The Cast and the Furious. So lots of live podcasting and some games going on. Tickets are $20. It's a family-friendly event. It's really a social event. It's not just for the Movies by Minutes listener, but the podcast listener and fan alike. Go to moviesbyminutes.com slash Portland. That's moviesbyminutes.com slash Portland. Portland to buy tickets. Again, tickets are 20 bucks. See you in Portland. Gregory William Mank. Mr. Mank. Yeah. Mr. Sane here at Monster Bash. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. We had a great weekend. Yeah? How's the Bash treating you pretty good? Very good. Yeah. You had an incredible presentation last night on Larry Craigare. Thank you. Last year, you had an incredible presentation on Colin Clive. Thank you. Last year, you published the book on Larry Craigare. This year, <laughs> you had the book on Colin Clive. That's right. Yeah, it was a little, little backwards, but uh, yeah, it came to pass. The man, Larry Craigare, I knew very little about until I read your book. Just super impressed. And I think we talked about this last year, about how the man's career really was about to just blow up if... The health things didn't happen and, and the, the image, the body image stuff happened and all that. It was just so unfortunate. It really is. It was interesting that uh, Father Mike, who always does the Mass here at Monster Bash, actually spoke about that today uh, at Mass. And he put it very well. He said, you know, it's such a shame that, that Laird Kriegar in many ways really was such a beautiful man. The talent he had, the nice things he did for people, the, the way he showed his friendship, all these sorts of things, his humor. But he didn't see himself is beautiful. He felt he had to do these physical things to achieve what he considered beauty. He, he bought into the Hollywood definition of it, which is really a shame. I mean, he was, he was certainly a very bright man and certainly you know, very intelligent, but nevertheless, living in that environment and under that kind of pressure and under those kind of influences, it just, it, it unfortunately got the better of him. And that's what, that's, that's really what destroyed him was trying to live up to this unrealistic image and to, and to go this direction that he really didn't need to go. You know, he had it. He had it just the way he was. He was he was terrific. But unfortunately, that's often the case. You know, you and I'm, I'm sure you and I meet people all the time who we think have great ability and have so much to offer. And when you get to know them, they they don't think so. You know, you, you feel somebody should have a mission in life of assuring people who don't think they have it that they have it. <laughs> because there's so many of them out there. There really is. And I would imagine that a place like Hollywood, a business like the movies, so much of it's based on image. Image, it's, yeah. It's, you know, mental health yeah. and all that. I mean, and, and during his time, mental health wasn't really recognized as well as it is now. Right. I still think we have a long way to go. But, you know, back then, God, I just can't help but feel for the guy. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, if I can go back in time and just give him a hug and tell him, dude, you're awesome. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. No matter what your weight is, nobody can act the way you act. Nobody can perform the way you perform. Nobody has the imagination as an actor and the flair that you have. Uh, you know, you have all these things. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has everything. Despite what Hollywood would have us believe. What, what they would like you to believe. Exactly. So, yes, yes. It was, it was very gratifying to, to talk about him yesterday. Today and um, 
he certainly deserves the attention. It's a shame how forgotten he is. I'm, I'm always surprised, like I mentioned today in the talk, the people who live in the house where he was born had never heard of him. It's really uh, unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the guy does did so much amazing work with mm-hmm. such little, limited output, I mean, yeah. because of what happened. Yeah. On Monster Kid Radio, every year we look at particular years in terms of, uh, like, best actors of that year, best actresses in monster movies of that year, or genre films of that year. Last year we talked about him in The Lodger. This year we talked about him in Hangover Square. Uh, I mean, in two very different types of roles. Yes. And the range is amazing. It is amazing. And, of course, the, the, the sympathy he manages to, to generate for both those characters. Uh, Of course, the the Hangover Square role is is more developed in the script and written more definitively about the sympathy. So I always think about that scene in Hangover Square at the end where he uh, realizes what's happened to him and he escapes from the police and runs up into the balcony and they're they're playing his concerto and he watches and a tear comes to his eye and he takes the curtain at the balcony and wipes the tear away. And it just (laughs) just destroys me every time. It kills me. Yeah. Man, I was watching that again. It's like, Yeah, that just destroys me every time. So, yeah. Yeah, God bless him. Great man. Yeah. How many years have you been coming to the bash? Oh, gee. Um, I came the first time, I think, in 2002. And then I came back in, I think, I didn't come back, I think, until 2013. Yeah, by popular demand. <laughs> for, for, for eleven years, uh, no, 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 just kidding. Uh, but, but I don't remember at the time why we didn't make, the, why we weren't making the trip. But we came in two, th- and I think we've come almost every year since then. We didn't come a couple years ago because I was in a summer production of Peter Pan, playing Captain Hook. Yeah, and um, and so I, I I was waylaid with that doing the, doing that show. But other than that, it's, this is a great convention. It's very well organized, and, and Ron does a super job, and yeah, it's a very upbeat atmosphere and good energy. One of my bash memories for me, I've only been coming a few years, and I came once and then skipped a few years and then came again. My very first year, I wasn't doing Monster Kid Radio. I didn't have a table. I didn't have anything. I was just a guy who was wide-eyed looking at everything. Uh huh. You were the first autograph I got. Oh, really? You signed the <laughs> Universal Horrors book. Okay. I want to cut in here real quick. And I should have picked up on this when I was recording with Mr. Mank because when I said the name of the book that I had him sign... I was wrong. It wasn't the Universal Monsters book. Universal Monsters was written by Tom Weaver. Uh, um, that's, that's not the book. Uh, <laughs> so I, I want to apologize. Uh, he did shoot me a look, but he graciously didn't point out my error. The book that I was actually referring to was his book, Karloff and Lugosi, The Story of a Haunting Collaboration. And it was during that Monster Bash where I met him and had him sign my book that we talked briefly about the Karloff-Lugosi, uh, I don't want to say rivalry, but you know which one did you prefer, that sort of thing. At the time, I had just seen the movie You'll Find Out with Kay Kaiser and Karloff and Lugosi and Peter Lorre and a handful of other people. And we talked briefly about that as well. In fact, if you go back into the archives and look at the old Monster Bash coverage from the very first time I went to Monster Bash, you may, you may find it. You might be there. So my apologies to Mr. Mank and uh, thank you for not pointing out my uh, incredible error. I'll talk a little bit more about books here in a bit, but why don't we get back to the conversation with Gregory William Mank. Uh, I lugged that all the way from Oregon uh-huh. <laughs> on the plane and then lugged it back. You were my first autograph, so well, you're one of my strongest batch memories. So. Well, I appreciate that. It's very and kind of you. And a phenomenal book. The, the amount of research and detail that you put into these things, I don't know where you get the information, and, and frankly, I don't care because <laughs> as long as you put them in books and keep cranking them out, 
you got to read her and me, man. Well, you know, it's interesting. The business has changed over the years. I've been doing this for so long. Or the early years, you could find a lot of information because a lot of people were still around. You know, there were so many people still around. You know, you could talk to Mae Clark. You could talk to Valerie Hobson. You could talk to uh, Jacqueline Wells, you know, Zita Johan, all these people, you know, who had been around in the early and mid-30s in the films, you know, get their personal stories and all their memories and that sort of thing. Of course, they're all gone now. The thing that we do have now we didn't have before is that there is so much you can find online in the internet with census reports and military reports and and everything one of the amazing things about the Colin Clyde book that that came out in December is the fact that we were able to find uh, a very sad story he had an uncle who was the term in those days was lunatic and he was in a, a hospital on the island of Jersey and uh, and died there he had been there for many years and the family the uh, Colin Clyde's family he and his two sisters were you know terrified of this what they called lunacy in those days, you know, passing down to them and then possibly to their children. So his sisters never married. He had two sisters who never married. He himself, uh, he married but never had any children. And the family line ended with with him and his sisters. Uh, that, that was it because this, you know, curse as they would have seen it of of um, mental illness uh, was was so frightening that that was it. For and we were actually able to find the, you know, the census reports, the, the records of that relative in the hospital in Jersey. And sure enough, there was a you know heading at the top and it had, you know, listed the names and they were all headed under the name Lunatics. And which is terribly sad. I mean you think about that, that that was you know that, that was the way they did it. But again, that was uh, we're talking about nineteen twenty, you know, at that point and the whole sensibility of that kind of thing is different. It's a different time, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Colin Clive is one of those actors that we as monster kids love him, Doctor Frankenstein. Sure. I just recently rewatched Mad Love, and I love him in that. I mean, again, the range the guy had. He did so much more, and I don't think he really liked being associated with horror or terror pictures as much. No, no, and he was. I don't think he was really happy being associated with being an actor. Uh, he was. <laughs> he was. Uh, it was something that he, you know, he was fascinated by it, but, you know, his whole life had been geared to going into the military uh, when he was at the. Royal Military Academy in London. There was a horse fall, and he uh, damaged his knee very badly. That was the end of his military career. And I think he figured, well, I've always been kind of interested in acting. I think I'll get into it and see what happens. But he had, you know, terrible stage fright, and never became comfortable being an actor. He was always scared. Safe to say, he never really looked forward to going to work. All right, but be going on in a play or going into make a film. Occasionally, he gave interviews where he sounded like he did because he was kind of being paid to sound upbeat, you know. And this was his job, but. But no, it was a very difficult life for him to have to do, have to get up in front of people, have to perform as superb as he was, as terrific as he was as an actor. He just did not enjoy it. It bothered him. It caused a lot of his problems and brought on his early death. And again, it's a shame, something that we all as fans enjoy so much, which is all that wonderful dramatic energy that he had. He wasn't comfortable with it. He felt somehow freakish, you know, in his life doing it. It was like, this is some, I'm not sure why I, how I managed to do this or why I do this, but they're paying me to do it. And so I, you know, this is what I do. But he wasn't comfortable with that, a lot of things. So it was a sad story, but he certainly was a brilliant actor. And the, the, the work he left, as you said, is, is wonderful to watch. I mean, he's just, he's just super. And, and, and so many different kinds of performances and different kinds of, of moods. And I mean, of course, he's, we think of him as highly strung and all those things, and he very frequently was. But, you know, he could, he could be funny. He could be romantic. He could do it all. Yeah. He yeah. really could. Yeah. He's really underrated. And, and it's his importance to what we, at least what we care about as Monster Kids, and then just overall, just really yeah. good stuff. Yeah. We have a game that we play on the show, the Classic Five. Did we do this with you last year? I think so. Well, 
I'd like to do it again. You bet. All right, so five cards, five questions about monster movies. Uh-huh. No wrong answers, just a way to kind of start conversations. Okay, this is actually a Hammer exclusive uh, card. Peter Cushing as Van Helsing or Frankenstein? Who do you prefer? Van Helsing. Yeah, as Van mm-hmm, Helsing? Mm-hmm. Which Which is your favorite Van Helsing performance? I think the first one. Yeah? Yeah. 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 A little bit more action here on the second, though. I love him. I love him when he turns the windmill into a cross. That is really great. That is a super bit. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that is very, very cool. <laughs> What's your favorite John Carradine monster movie? Oh, gee, that's a good question. Um, I guess it's not really a monster movie, but I like, I guess, Bluebeard. Yeah, and of course, he's very stylish and very dapper and very romantic and very crazy. Yeah, <laughs> he was good at that. He was very good at that. Yeah, that's a great, a great film to watch for him because he's, he's he's in it so much. You know, he's the whole he's 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 the whole show. He's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. So yeah, I say Bluebeard. Bluebeard. Okay. What character from a classic monster movie would you like to have a drink or a meal with? Oh, gee, what a great question. Um, I would like to have a drink or a meal with, I would say, Valerie Hobson's Elizabeth and Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, wow. See what she's like when she's calm and at her leisure and not screaming and hysterical. Which is what she does most of the time in that film. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I like that. That's a good answer. All right. (laughs) This one's hard for me. Christopher Lee or Bela Lugosi? Beta Lugosi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But if I want Beta Lugosi, Boris Karloff, I know you'd go Karloff. Well, that would be very, very tight. No, it'd be very tight, very tight. But, uh, yeah, I'd maybe Karloff by a little tiny bit. But, okay. yeah, yeah, I love them both. And I love Christopher Lee, too. I think he thinks Christopher Lee is marvelous. Sure. I think, he's, I think he was a wonderful actor and terrific presence, uh, surprising range, despite what people say. You know, I like him very much. Yeah, yeah. But, but between these two, Team Bela. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely Team Bela. Definitely Team Bela. All right, final card. What two 1930s monster movies would make a great double feature? Ooh. And the easiest probably Dracula Frankenstein, but... Yeah, let's see. I'm going to give, give an unusual answer, I think. I'm going to say Island of Lost Souls and Murders in the Zoo. Oh. Because you get a Kathleen Burke double feature. All right, you get Kathleen Burke as a panther woman in Island of Lost Souls, and then in Murders in the Zoo, you see the panther woman fed to alligators. Which is kind of a weird twist on things. So, uh, <laughs> but they're both very, very uh, audacious, shall we say, uh, pre-code horror films. Yes, and they would definitely uh, bear attention. They would, yeah, would definitely keep, keep keep your eyes glued to the screen. If you were programming that double feature, which one would you show first? Uh, Island Lost Souls, and then uh, and then briefly say, now make sure you realize that you know you're going to see the Panther Woman again, and you know she looks a little different this time. She's not quite as wild. No, no stubborn beast flesh creeping back, but uh, <laughs> but she's here and she's uh, she'll she'll keep your interest. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Do you have any new books coming up or anything listeners can look for? We're uh, actually having working on a, a, a sequel to The Witching Time of Night, which uh, I hope to finish up by the end of the year, and then a couple surprise things coming up after that that I think uh, that I'm really looking forward to. So yeah, is there a website or a page? Yes, you can go right go to uh, gregorymank.com and uh, and. There we are. Okay. Please visit. Yeah, that'd be great. Always love to hear from, from the folks. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Greg, thank you for doing this. Thank you, Derek. Always oh, a pleasure. Recently, newspapers and magazines everywhere carried an amazing story. Reporters saw Dr. Manley Hall hypnotize actor Lugosi to give reality to a scene in Black Friday. Horror struck, they witnessed the hypnotized actor's mortal agony as Lugosi actually experienced the terror of suffocating to death in a closet. Let me out, please! I'm suffocating!
sinister hand of science dares a new and dangerous experiment. Into the body of a gentle scholar is grafted the brain of a criminal, and a new and deadly monster is born to ravage an unsuspecting world. Been shot. Yeah, fix it up, will you? How'd you get it? The coppers shot me. It's only a scratch. How'd you get it? Well, don't ride me. It's your fault anyway. Fine. Yeah. We'll take the bucks. Go ahead and shoot. You want to dive 200 feet for it? Keep him covered. Created by man, stalked through the country, ming and killing. In time, Frankenstein, maker of the monster, died. The monster disappeared. Now, after 20 years, the son of Frankenstein returns. And fear grips the village anew. A man tainted by the blood of his father can forget his human soul and carry on the diabolical work of the Frankenstein. As a man, I should destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Benson, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale, Universal Son of Frankenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. Basil Rathbone. In his heart, warm human emotions. In his mind, the monster mania. It's alive. Alive, you mean? Yes, alive, but alive. I thought you said our experiments I know, were... I know. I too thought we failed, but we haven't. I've actually seen it walk. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Lugosi, sinister, mysterious, evil. You see that? They hanged me once. Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. One doesn't easily forget, Herr Baron. An arm torn out of the roots. Josephine Hutchinson, her young beauty a magnet to the menace around her. I hate it here, Wolf. I'm terribly afraid all the time. I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers. Monster Kid Radioheads, this is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We are still bashing with Derek, so let's look at some more comments from the first Famous Monsters convention from the 70s. Going back to FM 116, we have this from the author of the poem we read two weeks ago, Scott Hawk. About the convention, I said a lot of what I thought in my poem, but there are a lot of things which I just couldn't rhyme. 
I am really nutty about Don Post's mask, and now that I've seen them, I want to get them all. The ones which impressed me the most were the Planet of the Apes mask, which I am really bananas over. I really hope they're brought out soon, because I have just saved up the greater part of my paltry paper route salary to get one. I'm also having an outfit made to match that of Cornelius, Galen, and Caesar. I'm a real apes nut. I am really sorry to see the zombie masks have run out, especially after having the extreme pleasure of meeting its creator, Mr. Vern Langdon. I am now the proud owner of his, as well as yours, Miss Laurie's, and ye publisher's autographs. In 116's letter section, we find these comments from an attendee from New York. "'Twas a mind-bending spectacle, namely the 1974 Famous Monsters Convention. For those fans who didn't make it last year, make plans for attending this year. You won't regret it. Though the convention was a bit crude, I expect the second one to be more polished. The posters and still rooms could have been expanded, but they were still interesting. Catherine Laurie was indeed charming. The wonderful exhibits and lectures were superb. In FM 118, coverage of the con continued with an extensive look at makeup artist Fern Langdon's participation at the con. In a six-page article with ten photos, writer Del Denton describes the extensive expo Mr. Langdon presented. Vern made a plaster life mask of a lucky fan, made up others as apes and space creatures, and for the last day, turned publisher James Warren into a comic Frankenstein. Dell had the opportunity to interview Mr. Langdon. Here are some excerpts. I am at the point in my life where I have to be careful not to take on too many projects, the obliging Mr. Langdon confided in me, not because I'm afraid of doing too much, but because I must make certain that the quality of my work doesn't suffer. Vern Langdon's reputation had preceded him. He has long been known for his perfectionistic approach to everything he undertakes or is involved in, and so it was no surprise to me to hear him expressing his philosophy. If you're going to do something, anything, whether it be makeup, album, film, whatever, there's only one single way to do it, the right way, the best you can. That's all for this week. Will we keep on bashing? If so, we'll look at more convention-like events found in Famous Monsters. If not, we'll look at how your favorite creatures were covered in the pages of FM. This is Kenny for Monster Kid Radio with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. See you later. bizarre world you met on the planet of the apes was just the beginning. What lies beneath may be the end. 20th Century Fox takes you beneath the planet of the apes. This is the year 3955 AD. The apes are building a war machine aimed at planet domination. Superhuman mutants strike back with new and terrifying weapons of the mind. In the atomic rubble of what was once the city of New York, Civilization's final battle is about to begin. The only good human is a dead human! Beneath the planet of the apes, with James Franciscus, Kim Hunter, Maurice Evans, Linda Harrison, and Charlton Heston, can a world long endure half ape, half man? The answer lies deep beneath the planet of the apes. In color, rated G, general audiences. Have you heard? Black Clock Audio Tales is a daily podcast that reads you a story. Either a whole short story or a novel, a chapter or two at a time. Join us for our exploration of old ghost stories, supernatural fiction, horror tales, folk tales, fantasy, 
gothic horror, weird fiction, and cosmic horror. And don't forget to join us for our monthly show about the Cthulhu mythos at the end of the month. Black Clock Audio on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Black Clock Audio Tales. Part of darkmyths.org. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, here is an important message from Jack H. Harris, producer of 4D Man. Imagine a check for $1 million being made out to you. In my new film, you will see 4D Man perform feats never seen on the screen before. And if you, any one of you listening to me, can actually perform in real life, the feats ascribed to 4D Man, $1 million in cash will be yours. Your admission ticket to see 4D Man in widescreen and color may be worth $1 million. 4D Man is the most amazing motion picture ever made. The story of one man who solved the mystery of the fourth dimension. Even in this century of wonders, when science holds nothing to be impossible, you'll gasp in awe at the feats of the 4D Man. In color to thrill you as never before, 4D Man. No sooner did I stand up and, and get ready to kind of maybe stretch my legs a little bit. Somebody else comes up and got to have them on the show. Well, thank Tell you. Tell the listeners who you are. I am Kuzuba of The Patient Creatures. I am a storyteller. I've been performing with the group, gosh, probably since the mid-90s. Oh, wow. Yes. In the past several years, I've sort of become the de facto artistic director. <laughs> so The Patient Creatures, is that like a... You said it's a storytelling thing. It's like a, a, a troop of people going around doing this? Or? It used to be a much larger troop. We're okay. down to three, and only two of us are here this weekend. You and Grim. Me and Grim, yes. Grim has, is probably the longest surviving member. He has been performing the character of Grim since 1985. Okay. And I have been performing various creatures and various different characters, and but I've been doing Kuzuba since... 1992 or three. And you've been coming to Monster Bash pretty regularly, right? Yes, we, we've done all of them. We missed the very first one. Okay. We went to Winterfest, which only ran one year, okay. and that was the first year. And we've been to every other one, save the year that uh, Ron had it on a different weekend, mm. because it was in conflict with another convention that we do. And... We went back and forth. It's like, well, we have this long history with Ron. And it's like, but ultimately the other one was closer to home. And as I told Ron, I'm like, I have to default to the one my mother can come and see me at. <laughs> travel is part of it. I'm yes. from Portland, Oregon. So oh, my I goodness. the travel thing. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. You really have come away. Yeah, well, it's worth it. It's Monster Bash. Happiest place on earth, I keep saying. I'm glad to hear it. You know, and other people call it Mecca. I just... You know, I want to call it every weekend. I want to do Monster Bash stuff every weekend. I love this stuff. Oh, I'm so glad. And and I'm guessing you and Grim, big fans of classic monsters. Big fans of classic monsters. We prefer the more atmospheric, spooky, spooky sort of, stuff. yes. Yeah. Yes. But even going back further than, than the films, you know, as I said, I'm a storyteller. So, like, I'm very interested in folklore and oh, okay. old ghost stories and old stories of, of creatures from around the world. I realized a couple of years ago, as I was looking through books on vampires mm -hmm. in the nonfiction section, that I had, there was nothing new. I, I realized I'd probably read every <laughs> everything about, quote, real vampires that there was to know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so, you know, it's just something that I've always been interested in. Do you see a lot of links between, like, the classic folklore stories about vampires and werewolves and things like that? With the classic monsters, the classic monster movies? 
some more than others, but definitely, definitely. I mean, um, well, Dracula based on uh, the novel and Bram Stoker really did try to sort of update the folklore in the area. I mean, uh, the original folklore of the vampire, the vampire was not a sophisticated type of creature. It was more of a, more like what we would call a zombie. It was sort of a brainless, blood-sucking machine. And... Uh, <laughs> And Bram Stoker really sort of updated with the idea of intelligent, cunning predator who walks among us and, and, and pretends to be one of us. But there are certain things that, that he did, he did bring in from the, uh, from the folklore of the region. You know, the whole idea of that vampires can't enter until they're invited, that they make others like themselves by biting them, you know, that they can control lesser creatures wolves and bats and things like that so i think a lot of the the best stories will start with a kernel of a an old belief or an old folk tale and sort of expand upon that improve upon it and 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 sort of transform it for for whatever their their audience is you know again going back to bram stoker the victorians were very sexually repressed as you know and but yet there was there was sort of this this need for expression, so he sort of the so Dracula becomes a sort of a a sensual character, and his brides become these sort of sensual characters to sort of reflect what was going on in the in the day. And I think as we go, like um, George Romero with with uh, Night of the Living Dead, you know, he took the kernel of the idea of the zombie, which you know, which comes from African and and uh, Caribbean folklore and sort of transformed it into a metaphor for like uh, the politics of the day and and war and and racism and all these things. I think that's that's where the connection comes from. Yeah, as, as far as the classic monsters, as I said, some more than others. Some some are quite original and uh, some well, like the mummy. I mean, ancient Egypt didn't have the idea of, of monstrous mummies, but they I mean they did mummify people. Right. So. You know, there's that as well. I think I've always found it fascinating, speaking of folklore and where these stories come from, the Wolfman. Yes. The Silver Bullet, the yes. poem, all yes. that. That's original to the film. He didn't pull any of that from folklore, but so many people associate that with, quote-unquote, the real stories of werewolves. Well, the the werewolf is sort of interesting. Um, everyone's pretty much aware of like the witch panics in, mm -hmm. in medieval Europe, but there were also, especially in France, werewolf panics. Mm -hmm. And people were actually executed as werewolves because they were tried. And it's like, well, there's one French trial where this, this man was accused of turning himself into a wolf and eating children. And <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so you do have that, again, you, you do have that kernel of, of truth of people... You know, as you said, though, the, the movies and the, it kind of transforms it in a way. We have a game that we play on the show. I'd love to play it with you. It's called the Classic Five. Okay. I've got a deck of cards here. We're going to draw five of them. Each okay. one of these cards has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question. There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to kind of keep conversations going. So, Ready to play? Certainly. You'll, you'll have to read them to me because... Oh, I'll um, read them to Okay. Yeah. All right. Card number one. This is a, a universal deck or card uh, okay. about universal films. Who never appeared in a Universal monster film, but you wish they had? That's a good one. Um, I'm probably terrible at this because I might mention someone who might have actually appeared in a Universal film. That's right. Um, no wrong answers. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I would say, well, just because she's one of my favorite actors, I don't think she appeared in the universe. I'll leave Marie Saint. Oh, wow. Yes. I don't think she had, yeah. I, I don't think so, but she, I just think she was a great actress. I think she had, I think I think a skill that's a bit underrated in, in mm-hmm. acting is acting without dialogue, which she was quite good at. Very and good I would have loved to see her playing some sort of mysterious yes. creature. Mm-hmm. So I like that answer. Now, of course, if she was in a Universal Monster movie. The listeners will let me know. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. But uh, yeah. yeah. And she's one of my favorite actresses. Oh, she's so. phenomenal. She's really phenomenal. amazing. All right. From our core deck, what's your favorite classic monster movie sequel? Monster movie? Oh, Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, it's classic. A- absolutely. Classic. I mean, that, that may be my favorite universal film period. I just, yeah. I really love the imagery in it. Well, I mean, when you watch the old films, it, it's funny. It's um when my husband and I watch like old films on like Turner Classic or whatever, mm-hmm. I said, it's, there's something about the old films. You know they're on a set. Like you can tell it's a painted backdrop. It's on a stage. There's nothing realistic about it. But yet there's something that just, it's, there's a certain like charm. There's a certain aesthetic that I just yeah. really enjoy. And I, I think uh, Bride of Frankenstein really captured that. It was just sort of like, like yes, it's definitely a set. Yes, it's definitely miniatures. But there's just, everyone is so into it. And the actors all really believe. And also Elsa Lanchester's fabulous. Yeah, you got that. And you've got Pretorius. Super, Dr. Yes. Pretorius. Dr. Pretorius. Love that character. Yes. And I mean, and that little scene where he has the little people in the jaws, I'm like, it adds nothing to the story, but it's just, it's it's kind of cool and weird. And I it's just. It's just delightful. Yes. It's just yes. delightful. All right. Another core deck question. Who is your favorite? <laughs> and I just said one. Who's your favorite mad scientist? Oh, my favorite mad scientist. You know, it's. I saw you speaking to Martine Beswick just now, and I'm a I'm a fan of uh, Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Yeah. I really wish Ralph Bates had lived longer. <laughs> he 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 was. Yeah. He the two of them and him especially. Well, but both of them. I don't want to downplay either one. The, sure. the two of them are just so wonderful in that together. Like I said, That's I wish. That's a great answer. Though. I I it was, it was a tragic loss that he he had not made more films because I think yeah he'd be he'd be much better known today. There you go. Another Universal card. Which character do you prefer? Dr. Pretorius from Bride of Frankenstein or Gustav Niemann from House of Frankenstein? Uh, Dr. Pretorius, I'd have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love what Karloff does with Gustav Niemann. Yes. But it's Dr. Pretorius. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's my it's, only weakness. Yeah, come on. <laughs> like, like I said, it, it, that's, that's probably one of my favorite films of all time, but definitely yeah. my favorite Universal. Final card. This is actually from our Hammer. Deck? Oh, my favorite. Do you prefer Hammer Horror or Hammer Science Fiction? Oh, man. I know there's more horror than sci-fi, but the sci-fi is good. The sci-fi is good. I'd have to say the horror. That's sort of the foundation of of my interest in horror. I used to um, uh, watch there was um, a horror host when I was growing up, Dr. Shock in the Philadelphia area. Oh, okay, okay. Again, passed away much too young. I think he'd still be coming to these things. But for some reason, showed a lot of Hammer films. And, you know, what was one of the most formative films in your childhood? And I'd have to, it's like probably something like Captain Chrono's Vampire Hunter or something like that. Um, just because I, I love the aesthetic of the horrors. I saw them on television first. So it's, it's funny. Again, Martine Beswick, I saw her speaking yesterday and she was saying how the nudity in that film was not in the script until she was on set. And then they're like, Oh, we're going to do, which is 
ticks me off, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do have to say, and I, I mean, I know it's a cliche, but I didn't think it was as exploitative as some of them have been. But still, it's, it's not, not cool, True. not cool to, to spring it on an actor like that. But the thing is, I saw them all on television. So, oh. yeah, I, w- I was not aware that there was nudity yeah, so <laughs> until, I, until I was an adult and started acquiring them on, on video. And I was like, wait a minute, I only ever saw her face in this scene. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was a bit of a shock. But, I mean, there's films that are exploitative. And I, I don't think the it was just, it was, they were of the time. Yeah. You know, it was just the 60s and 70s and European films, they all had nudity, whether it warranted it or not. It was just sort of de rigueur. You know, what can you do? Well, in that, in that period of time for Hammer as well, I mean, they were trying to keep up with some of the other stuff that was coming out. And right. How do we keep up in the ante and keeping interest without, yeah. I totally get that. You know, like a lot of American directors got their start with... Um, Corman? Um, Corman, yes, thank you. And it was the same thing with that. Like, yeah. you know, Martin Scorsese and, and Jonathan Demme. And, so were, and, they, and they were like... Their early films with him is like, well, make sure you get the, the not to be crude, but you know, make sure you get the the nude girl in there, yeah. and make sure you get the really violent, gross stuff. And yeah. I mean, they you all know. started. With, I mean, Ron Howard, Francis Ford Coppola, exactly, exactly. And and the distributors at the time are like, well, you know, we have to have a hot naked girl, you know. Yeah. You gotta put <laughs> Which, something in the drive-in. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So. Is there a website or somewhere people can go to learn more about what you guys do? Well, a website, I have to say, is not up to date. Okay. The website is uh, CreaturesEast.com. Creatures East. It's like I said, it's not up to date, but our, our email addresses are on there. Oh, okay, okay. So if you want to get in touch with us, or you can just, uh, I, I'll just give you my email directly. It's, it's Kuzaba at Hotmail, and it's, I'll spell that out. It's K-U-Z-I-B-A-H. I would have totally gotten that wrong, so thank it's, you. <laughs> yes, it's from a uh, short story by Isaac Bashevis Singer, so it's, oh, okay. it's like a Hebrew, it's a Hebrew name. So Okay, well, okay. I'll make sure there are links and notes in the show notes of this episode of Montefiore Radio. I'm so glad you stopped by and asked me on the show. This oh, was fun. Thank you. I don't get to talk about like folklore and classic horror movies sure. at the same time very often. So. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I strong-armed you. And I hope uh, I hope I didn't take. <laughs> I, I hope you don't feel too taken advantage of. No. But like I say, I've been coming. We've, I, I've walked past you. This is what uh-huh. your third year here. Uh, second year at the table. Second yeah. year at the table. And I keep seeing you, and I'm like, I. And I just told Grim, I'm like, I'm going to strong arm him into letting me no, be honest. I, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> I I wish everybody did that because I love chatting with people about this okay. stuff. It really. I appreciate it. This is what keeps me going. Man. This this is it. This is it. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I don't want to think about it. This is it. I don't want it to end. Help me, doctor, please! I know they're going to catch me, but don't let anyone see me like that! Please, doctor, help me! Michael Landon in a powerful performance as the boy possessed. Yvonne Lyon, appealing as the girl who loves him. Whit Bissell, unforgettable as the scientist maddened by the mystery of the werewolf. And Tony Marshall, a tough, friendly enemy. These are the official pictures? Yes, Chief. Slash on either side of the throat. You got any theories? He was killed by a werewolf. Panic penetrates every home when this strange unknown killer hits town, taking hold of the teenage crowd. 
coloring their practical jokes with hysterical humor that'll make you fall flat on your face with horror. No. Remember how wonderful it was when you sprang and suddenly dug in with your fangs, a soft throat, a gush of warm blood? No! No! Nothing you've ever seen has such blood-chilling savagery. Nothing you've ever conceived packs such a spine-tingling jolt. This high school boy, a teenage werewolf, a constant threat of claw-ripping attack to everyone, to the brave and the beautiful. Introducing Archivos, the story mapping and development tool for today's storytellers. With Archivos, storytellers don't just document the characters, places, and events of their stories. They define the relationships between those story elements and then visualize those connections through unique story mapping interfaces like the living map, the timeline, and the story web. By giving storytellers the ability to see and interact with that network of story elements, Archivos helps ensure story comprehension and continuity, while providing a dramatic and engaging way for fans to explore the story worlds they love. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories illuminated. As we were walking down to the table, I was telling you that I know you as all the villains, but you're such a warm, gentle guy that I've met here. Mr. Neem, welcome to Monster Kid Radio. Thank you, Derek. It's a pleasure to be here. The man that you're hearing, Christopher Neem, has been in so many iconic films, and I saw him again in a movie last night in House of the Gorgon. And we were talking earlier, that was the first time you'd seen it. Yes, yes. Initial thoughts? Well, I was very impressed by Josh Canada's work, by everyone's work, including yours, with such a tiny, tiny budget and such a tiny amount of time to shoot this. I think we really pulled it off. And um, I think Josh has got a huge career ahead of him. Right. I mean, he's 23 years old now, and if he's turning out this quality of work... God knows what he'll be doing, you know, in 20 years' time, you know. Well, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I mean, I, I will, because I want to see everything he does in that Yes, meantime, yes. You know? <laughs> very, very, very talented man. This was the first time you'd worked with him. Yes. Had you seen any of his other work up no, to this point? No, no, no. I met him in uh, New Jersey about three years ago at a convention there, a chiller. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hit it off. He said, would you be in my first major feature film? I said, hey, of course. (laughs) You know, just give me a call. And there we were. We ended up working together, and it was a complete delight. In South Texas for a week, one of the happiest weeks of my life. His parents, his whole family are just so lovely and um, welcomed us and fed us and they were just completely delightful. I definitely get that kind of family, homey vibe yes, yes. off of all of his movies. And to see you and the, the Hammer ladies, who are amazing, yes. kind of be incorporated into that so easily, so effortlessly. It's just, I imagine the set was a blast to be on. Oh, it was wonderful. Just so good. And he's so clever because he has it all worked out in his head. So there's no tension, no stress. He's so focused when he works. So we just did our job and... And there's the result, you know, so 
I'm very, very happy. So you are now in my favorite Josh Kennedy film, and you were in one of my absolute favorite Hammer films. I love Dracula 80, 1972. Mm-hmm. I adore that film so much. Yeah. But obviously, a big part of the film is you, uh, Johnny Alucard. I yeah. mean, what a, a creepy dude. Yeah. <laughs> even before he gets vamped, you know, even before any of that. Yeah. How did you prep for a film like that? Jerry, I'll be honest with you. I was so young. Uh, I was 23, and I didn't really prep. You know, when you're that age, you just jump, you know? And I jumped. <laughs> and uh, thank goodness I uh, jumped in the right direction. Being with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, iconic Hammer Horror uh, actors, it was kind of easy in a way because you just played off them, you know? And, uh, and they were who they are, or were. And I knew the character that I was playing, and... I just just did it. Alan Gibson, who directed, was very on board with us all and um, steered us in, in the right direction. And uh, he was a good man. Sad that we lost him so early. Alan Gibson, Canadian act, director, very talented man. No, I enjoyed it enormously. You worked with the pig too. You mentioned Lee and Cushing, and I felt like you held your own against them. Now you probably could have stayed out of the bathtub, but yes. you know you held your own against them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> With that fight scene at the end, did you do a lot of the own, your own stunts? I did, and I did. yes, there? I did. And talking about Peter Cushing, he was—he must have been 80 if he was a day. He was really tough, strong as a lion. I did a lot of, yeah, I did that fight scene with him, and he was very agile, very strong. As I said in my talk, he just lost his wife mm-hmm. before the shoot, and he gave us all the greatest compliment, because we were all very young, you know, all us kids. He gave us the greatest compliment at the end of sh- the shoot. He said, you know, you all pulled me through this really tough time of grief. And uh, with your energy and enthusiasm, you really, really helped me. And that was terribly touching. I bet. Uh, he was a wonderful man. And uh, Christopher Lee was different. He, <laughs> he, well, he kept himself to himself, you okay. know. And was very much the character, a bit sort of, um, a bit Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, um, very in character most of the time. And, you know, one didn't approach him because, you know, one gave him that tremendous respect, which he, which he uh, deserved. And I didn't bother him, didn't really have anything to do with him off the set. You know, I just did my part with him. But uh, Peter Cushing is much more approachable and... Uh, you know, I totally respected both their energies, you know. I mean, that's that's who they are. And, and uh, I, I was, you know, as I said, incredibly young, very impressionable. And uh, I learned a tremendous amount from them. And it helped in my, my career as an actor. Were you aware of what kind of movies Hammer had made up until that point? Not really. No, I, I went into it blind, in a way. Uh, it To me, it was a, a just another acting job, you know, and... Uh, I did the best I could, and uh, I felt very privileged to be there, and but um, had no idea it was going to turn into the amazing kind of cult film that it's become. I, I had no idea when I was doing that. I don't think any of us did. It just came out on Blu-ray. I mean, yes. and it looks amazing on Blu-ray. Yeah. And just the, the colors are vivid and the sound's great. What do you think of the music of Stone Ground? Um, <laughs> I was very... Um, very impressed with them. I thought they were just great. I had an awful lot to think about, you know, at the time. So I wasn't really concentrating on the music. I just, I had so much to 
to deal with, so I didn't really absorb the music as much as I could have done, you know. Dig the music, kids. I mean, yeah. come on, that's just... Iconic. It is iconic. And in fact, if, if it wouldn't be too presumptuous to ask you to say, dig the podcast, I'd love to ask you to do that for me. I would never do it for anyone else, Derek, only you. Dig the podcast, kids. Chills, man. Chills. Uh, do you have anything coming up? Any any um, roles or anything? I, not really. I'm just waiting for Josh to sit down and start writing again, you know, and grab the telephone. I'll be there. I hope I have an opportunity to uh, edit your dialogue and sound again. That would be amazing. Derek, Thank you so much for doing my this. My pleasure, Derek. Bless your heart. Bye-bye. Dracula is back. In the first now Dracula movie, Dracula A.D. 1972. And with this new motion picture, an unrivaled event, horror ritual. You will participate with the Transylvanian vampire himself, swearing you in as an honorary member of the Count Dracula Society. He comes back from the living dead to extend you his personal invitation. Join me in the horror ritual. You heard it with your own ears from his blood-red lips. Get your honorary membership card when you see the new Dracula movie, Dracula A.D. 1972, and participate in the horror ritual. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Well, we're past 2.30, so what do you think we should do is maybe invite Christopher Neve onto the stage at Monster Man. Wonderful crowd. Throw me some questions. I always like asking this question. We love you for going out apart, but what for you do you want us to remember you by? What's your favorite role? Well, that was, I was very, very young, uh, and... Um, it was probably the f second really serious job I, I got. I, I did a series called Colditz, which was um, about a prisoner of war camp in the Second World War, and uh, I played a submarine lieutenant in that, a lieutenant, a big one, uh, in that. <laughs> I forget where I am sometimes. And uh, that was a wonderful role. Robert Wagner was in that, David McCallum. And we shot that in, uh, at Elstree in England, uh, in London. And uh, then this was my second sort of series role. It was just great working with Christopher Lee and, and, and Peter Cushing because they were so the character, they were so right. They was, it was easy in a way acting with them because they were who they should have been, you know. No one else could have replaced them. And um, great cast, Michael Kitchen and uh, Marsha Hunt. Uh, Stephanie Beecham, uh, lovely Caroline Monroe, who uh, unfortunately is not here today. Uh, she's doing well. She's doing very, very well in London. Busy schedule. I loved it. And the thing is, about in those days, there was no computer graphic special effects, of course. So everything was done manually, you know. And uh, some of the special effects were a bit sort of hokey. But they worked. It, it, was, it was a really extraordinary experience because uh, it was the end of the 60s, the King's Road, where we shot it all, was still throbbing from the 60s, you know. It was 1972, of course, 1972. So, uh, no, I loved it. Every moment, it was just extraordinary working with uh, all those very talented people. Well, Peter Cushing, it was very touching because Peter Cushing had just lost his wife, who he was devoted to before the shoot. And... Um, he was very, very, very sad throughout the shoot. 
But because we were all so young and vibrant and very sort of energetic, um, he said at the end of the filming, he said, uh, you guys got me through because of your energy, because of your, you know, because you were all so together as a group and, and really got me back in the groove. He was very touching. Peter, Peter Cushing, he smoked, smoked cigarettes, a lot of cigarettes, and he didn't want to get any nicotine on his hands for the, you know, to go on camera. So every time the shooting stopped, he would sit in his little deck chair, put on his white gloves, smoke a cigarette, and then take his white gloves off and go back to the set. It was very dear, very sweet, real gentleman. I had a fight scene with him, and he was strong as a lion. He was eight. He was eighty-five. I was twenty-three, and uh, it was hard to keep up. He was so fit. He was wonderfully fit, dear, dear, dear gentleman. Christopher Lee, on the other hand, just very to himself, and very sort of poised, and very kept himself to himself, and then walked onto the set, and there was Dracula, you know. He was uh, an extraordinary man. Very, very, very wonderful talent. Excellent. Stephanie Beecham, I have a history with Stephanie uh, in the sort of relation-wise. I, uh, her brother-in-law, she was married to John McHenry at the time, and uh, a brilliant, brilliant uh, uh, Mercutio in Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. I think he was Mercutio, yes, he was extraordinary, amazing actor. I worked with her brother-in-law, Peter McHenry, twice. I played Forty Brass, you know, in Hamlet, with Peter, and then I was at the Royal Shakespeare Company with Peter. Very, very, very talented men. Uh, and Stephanie, I got to know a little bit, not too much, because we were very busy on the set, you know? And I met her in Los Angeles um, when she was out there doing the Colby's. I think she was doing the Colby's, that's right, yes. Very, very clever woman, very talented, beautiful, of course. And uh, no, she's a favorite of mine. If you think all vampires are ugly creatures of the night, then you are in for a shattering surprise. Lust for a vampire. Disciples of the Black Mass, devils in female bodies, whose embrace is the kiss of death for man or woman. Lust for a Vampire, released by American Continental Films in color, rated R. Lust for a Vampire. Yeah. Jutta Stenskar. Yes. I really, bless you I cannot really remember too much about that. It was about 300 years ago. Um, I was very excited to be part of the Hammer, you know, uh, situation because I knew they were very sort of uh, very big in those days, very sort of out there. And then, of course, from there, I was cast as Johnny Hallicard. You know, I really cannot remember too much about that. No, I like Ralph Bates enormously. He's a really good guy. How many times can one man leave you breathless? Timothy Dalton is James Bond 007. Licensed to kill. Oh, 
yes, with Tim Dalton, yes. We, we, shot, we shot that in Mexico City. And um, Timothy was a very different Bond. He wanted to take it kind of seriously, you know. And uh, again, wonderful to be in, in part of that franchise, you know. Um, I enjoyed it enormously, worked very hard. Didn't see anything of Mexico City, it could have been anywhere. Um, but uh, I think it was a decent enough film. I, I think it was a pretty good film, yeah. Tim did a jolly good job, I thought. Okay, uh, yes, gentlemen here. Hello, Steve. Hi, Steve. Thank you for coming. It's great to see My you. pleasure. You started your career at Hammer, and now you've done a new movie in the Hammer style, Hustler Gorgeous. Which is going to appear here tomorrow night. What was it like going back to the Hammer style and working with people that worked at Hammer previously? Oh, a treat. An absolute treat. We shot this in Texas, and our fearless leader is sitting in the second row here, <laughs> Mr. Joshua Kennedy, who is a complete nightmare to work with. <laughs> Did I say like I meant uh, to? Delight, actually, was <laughs> Sorry, Josh, I, I didn't mean to add you in it. Um, terrific, just great. We did shot it in a week, and uh, Josh was just wonderful. He knew everything that he wanted, and he managed to get it out of us all. Unbelievable! I've never shot so quickly, but in in such a a very relaxed way, you know. We were on the ball, and we we got it done. I hope it shows, you know, that, that all our hard work shows. It was just great. Yeah, we enjoyed it enormously. At school, you see, I did do, I, I acted a lot at school, and when I was very young, when I was in my well, 12, 13, when I was a teenager, of course, academically, I sucked completely. And uh, but then. It's a long story, and, and I don't really want to go into it too much, but it just sort of happened, you know. And I think about it now, you know, and I think, I'm so glad that I didn't sort of waver and think, well, maybe I'll give it a try, I don't know. No, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I just went for it, you know. I, my first job was at the Oxford Playhouse as a, stu as a student assistant stage manager on three pounds a week. It's about five bucks a week. And but I didn't need money because I was working so hard and I just went back to my digs and slept, you know, and then worked and slept. That's all I did. So that's what got me started. And then of course Codis, the series, which took off um, amazingly, it was just the right kind of time for that, you know. Some people really wanted that. And uh, just whoa, bang, you know, it sort of happened very quickly. And uh, I was off and running. Yeah. I'm a bit of, bit of a perfectionist. And I always think, oh, why, why, why did I do that? You know, uh, why did I look like that? I could have looked like that, or I could have, you know what I mean? It's, it drives me insane. I never do it. What I do is I do the work and I move on. You know, I do, I, I, I suppose some people would say, well, would you learn from watching your work and see how you could do it better or whatever? Well, I kind of conscious, subconsciously 
know what I did. And in the next performance, I think, well, maybe I could do it a bit better. You know what I mean? I don't have to see it. Ah, I did a lot of stage. I did a lot of stage work. I find, because I have a very short attention span, it suits my personality to do film and television, because it's so quick, you know, intense and quick. I did a lot of radio in Los Angeles, which in fact is, is the medium that I really, really enjoy, because that's very, very intense and very quick, you know? Yeah, I love it. Radio is great. Out of the ruins of a nuclear war, through a landscape of unearthly beauty and unknown terrors, and into a world struggling against the forces of nature and the forces of evil. Patrick Swayze is the soldier of destiny. Do you feel safe now? Yes. Steel Dawn, the legend begins. Patrick Swayze uh, in uh, Namibia, Africa. Not necessarily my best work, but one of the most challenging roles I've ever played. And being with him was an absolute joy. Patrick had just finished Dirty Dancing, and before he was kind of rocketed off into the start into the stars, he came straight from Dirty Dancing into this film, and um, I had the privilege of working with him as a bad guy, and there was a film called Steel Dawn, one of the most challenging yet enjoyable jobs I've ever done. So I would look back on that and various stage work that I did. I think, um, you know, I've a few TV things that I've done that I, I was happy about. Overall, I'd just be very, very lucky. and. Uh, and uh, an extraordinary ride. Thank you so much. After shock. After shock. After shock. Warning. The sexual transformation of a man into a woman will actually take place before your very eyes. Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. An unnatural laboratory experiment transforms the brilliant young Dr. Jekyll into... <laughs> Sister Hyde. At last, free to enjoy all my cravings. A man by day. <laughs> a woman by night. The perfect disguise to indulge a lust for sex and violence that terrorized all London. <coughs> this warning to parents, be sure your children are sufficiently mature to witness the intimate details of this frank and revealing film. Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. An American International Pictures release in color, rated PG. Was he a woman? Was she a man? Or, or were, were they, they both? both? See Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. <laughs> Good evening, Monster Kids. This is the Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. 
What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go forth, game. Good. And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go Forth and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics, and of course, monster-themed games, then you should give Go Forth and Game a try. That's GoForthAndGame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify. An upheaval of nature tears loose a creature out of the nightmare of time. Spawned by an earthquake on the bed of the ocean, a reptilian, earth-shaking beast of the sea. The monster that challenged the world. My tank. My tank. What's wrong? Blake's tank is caught in the undergrowth. right in front of me. I couldn't help him. Go back. back. Talk sense. What's down there? I don't know. I never saw anything like it before. It's the size of a dinosaur and ten times more terrifying. Hurling the horrors of the unknown at every living thing. time as any to mention this if you head over to monsterkidradio.net across the top of the page underneath the logo underneath the button where it says become a patron there are some options there kind of looks like a menu and the very last selection there is the monster kid radio book club now this has been kind of a placeholder for years on the website i'm finally doing something with it i'm going to put in here links to amazon where you can go and buy the books of the people that you hear on Monster Kid Radio. I have a handful of authors that have appeared on the show, and I want to support them. And if you buy their books using these links, you're supporting me as well, because I'm an Amazon affiliate, and you're helping to support the show. Now, we don't make a lot of money that way, but every little bit helps. And you're getting some pretty awesome books for yourself. Now, I'm going to be updating this down the line. If you look right now, you will see that I don't have any of Tom Weaver's books on here including Universal Horrors. And that's just because Tom has so many books. I want to make sure I capture them all and put them in here so you can buy them for yourself and see everything that he's done, that sort of thing. Uh, Gregory Manx's books are in here. Stephen D. Sullivan, Anthony Wendell, Brad Brown. I mean, they're all there. Dwight Kemper. I'm probably forgetting one or two. Uh, please keep in mind that I'm operating on about three and a half hours sleep, and I'll talk about that at the end of the show. Speaking of which, we're nearing the very end of the show. As I said at the beginning, we are going to go out on the conversation that Scott and I had at the Monster Kid Radio table early, early Sunday mornings. But before we get to that, I want to get to a few things. 
First of all, and I meant to mention this a couple weeks ago, in the very first episode where we were covering Monster Bash, we were talking about uh, The Mask of Fu Manchu, the film starring Boris Karloff that was showing at the convention. I think it was with Stephen D. Sullivan, and I made a comment about how much I enjoyed Christopher Lee's version of that character, and I talked about Bela Lugosi playing the role as well. It was pointed out to me by a couple of different people that uh, that's not true, and I keep meaning to bring it up. Legosi never played Fu Manchu. Legosi played Mr. Wong, who Karloff also played, and that's how I was kind of mixing that up in my head. Uh, the other bit of personal business that I want to get to, those of you who follow me on Facebook and Twitter know that uh, one of my cats, Samantha, has not been doing so great, and she's been having issues uh, recently. She's had two strokes. Uh, she's got severe kidney disease. She's probably 18 years old, and uh, she's just you know, winding down and we do what we can for our four-legged family members. And, you know, we're taking care of her as best as we can. And I wanted to just thank everybody who reached out to me on Facebook and Twitter and by email, just, you know, offering me some support and encouraging words and that sort of thing. Samantha is doing okay right now as okay as a, an 18 year old kitty with severe kidney disease. And who up until recently was pretty constipated. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as well as she can be. And we'll keep her comfortable for as long as we can. Uh, so yeah, thanks for all of your support there. Okay, bringing it back to Monster Kid stuff. MonsterKidRadio.net's where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. We've got links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and our Twitter, as well as the Monster Kid Radio on YouTube YouTube channel. So if you want to interact with Monster Kid Radio on the social media platforms, that's how you do it. You're also going to find links to everything that we talked about here in the show. Not just that book club link that I'm adding to the website, but the websites for everybody who appeared here on the show. The Patient Creatures, Kuzaba's email address, Gregory William Manx stuff. I mean, it's all there. (sighs) Excuse me. I don't mean to yawn into the microphone. How's that for professional podcasting? But I'm pretty wiped out. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up and and, uh, let you listen to Scott and I chatted up at Monster Batch. Like I said at the top of the show, operating on very little sleep because I was up all night last night with Sam. So before I sign off. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license, and you know what? I forgot to mention a couple of things. Okay, uh, Martine Beswick was mentioned a few times in this episode. Don't worry, she's coming. Probably going to do a Monster Bash coverage part five, and you'll hear my chat with Martine, as well as my chat with Veronica Carlson. So that's on the way. I still have a few other conversations that I recorded as well, including a reading with Dwight Kemper. So that'll be coming too. And there was something that Scott and I recorded just the other day, specifically for this week of Monster Kid Radio. I think I'm going to sit on that until Saturday. Why Saturday? Well, Saturday is the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. So to celebrate that here on Monster Kid Radio, Scott and I are going to talk about a movie in which the characters land on the moon. We're going to be taking a look at uh, the oh-so-scientifically accurate film Missile to the Moon. Stay tuned. Don't change that pod dial because that'll be coming out on July 20th. Okay. Now I'm done. Let's go ahead and listen to Scott and I chat it up a little bit at Monster Bash. I will talk to everybody in a couple of days and, well, the week after that and after that and after that and after that. And you get the point. Oh, yeah. 
Is it okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> I can talk about the Reds. They 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 broke a seven game winning streak last night. Okay. <laughs> I I don't know. I know no, I, sports ball again. I don't know. <laughs> I grew up a Reds fan, so I still watch them. I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> that is Scott Morris. <laughs> Good morning. We brought your stuff down. It's over here. All right, let's do a take two on this. What do you think? Sure. All right. What? Well, the Reds did break a seven-game winning streak I last night. I still don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I know what he says, but yeah, you just don't care. <laughs> um, but is this take four now? <laughs> I think Dominic is now your first minion. You're I, sending her for water. Well, <laughs> nobody is the first. You're all beneath. That doesn't sound right either. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. It's Sunday morning at the Bash. Unfortunately, it'll be over today. You are so much more chipper than I feel. I I also went to bed earlier than you last night. This is true. This is true. Yeah, you stayed. You uh, you called it. Tracy stayed up a little bit longer. But man, we were dumb. We should not have stayed up that late. <laughs> No, that's not true. I love hanging with my friends and, and the monster kids here. and just It's our tribe, man. I, I'll be fine. As soon as the coffee cools down enough for me to drink, I'm good. Good? I'm good. <laughs> what have you done at the bash? Hung out with you. Okay. What are the really cool things you've done at the bash? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to see Josh's movie last I'm night. I was supposed to say hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got, saw the movie last night. I got to hang out with my wife. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the movie, how'd it go? What'd you think? Now, have you seen it before? I had not seen it before. The only problem I had with it, and it's, it's a small critique of the bash, is the film room is a little small. Okay, so the, the movie itself, you dug. It's just the, the, the venue, maybe. The ven- it, was, it was shoulder to shoulder, and it got very hot in there, and it started to make me sick. So I remember, yeah, you are talking about that. But the other things that I've done that's really cool is getting to hang out with Terry a little bit yeah. and getting another one of her awesome shirts. Terry's awesome. One of my favorite people. Listeners out there, if you don't know Terry and, and that's Terry Riffick shirts on Facebook, you need to go look at her stuff. Her stuff is amazing. Link in the show notes. Check it out. It's really good. I have several of her shirts. They are very good quality. Every time I wear it, people ask me where I get them, and I always tell them to go look up Terry. I can't recommend her enough. Terry's great. I've got that messenger bag that I've been using for the past several years, and, uh, I mean, good quality, man. It, it has held up uh, to multiple washes, multiple uh, cats sitting on them for hours and hours on end. Uh <laughs> I, I, I haven't run that test on him because our dog doesn't usually sit on my clothes. So, Yeah, I don't know why um, Wednesday loves to curl up on the messenger bag. That's awesome. And Smoke likes to curl up in my pants, but that's a totally different issue. I'm um, not touching that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> not while I'm wearing them. Oh, okay. Not while I'm wearing them. Okay. <laughs> what are we talking about? Um, what is happening? I don't know. Last time I remember is 10-foot poles. Uh, so. Okay, so hanging out with Terry. Yep. You saw the movie. Hanging out with friends. Hanging out with Tracy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what else have you done? I really enjoyed Martine Bestwick's talk. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I learned, one of the questions she was asked was, what role would she have liked to have done? 
And I love her answer, and I wish this actually happened because she said she would like to have been Corella DeVille in the 101 Dalmatians live-action remake, and I think she would make an incredible Corella DeVille. Um, my, my Disney side is showing here. <laughs> she, when she turns on the evil, yes, it is wonderful. Still beautiful, still just whatever. But man, she is good. Yes, she could be. She could do Corella really well. Yeah, yeah, really good. I'm sitting here slurping coffee while recording. That's professionalism. Yes, and he didn't even offer his guest any, so it's real good professionalism. I know you wouldn't want it. That's true. I don't I drink know. coffee. <laughs> I've done my research. I know what my guests want. <laughs> Foot massage will be coming later. Um, okay. <laughs> so it's Sunday. Things have just started to pick up a little bit. Is there anything else you want to get done before the bash is over? Anything else you're looking forward to? I'm just hanging out with uh, my friends some more before they, uh, you know, go four directions to the wind yeah. again for another year. That's Pretty the big much. thing I'm looking forward to. Um, I think I've probably spent enough money. I'd like to spend more, but um, I think... I've stopped just in time. <laughs> I know that uh, that my wife is uh, sharing your table and selling uh, her We Belong Stuffed characters. Mm -hmm. She has done really well. She's sold uh, lots of creatures from the Black Lagoon that she's made. She's sold lots of the Bride and Frankenstein monster that she's made. You know, look for We Belong Stuffed out there on Facebook. And see what she's up to because she's made a lot of really cool stuff. And she also not only does horror stuff, she goes out into the Marvel uh, universe and's made some Marvel characters. She had she actually has one Marvel character here today, and that's Venom, sort of a monster. And a lot of people have, have asked her about it. So I'll link in the show notes, of course. <laughs> you know, between you and me, we're podcasters. We produce audio. We need to come up with like an audio. Like a, an ad for her, for us to play on our show. Yes, yes, we do. That we, would be a great idea. We, we should do that. I keep promising to do that for Terry, too. Yeah. I, I'd be more than willing to help you out on that one, too. And now that I've said it here on the show, if I choose not to edit this out, it's now out there and we're committed. There we go. <laughs> or are we committable? I mean, that's that's. Well, I thing. am committed. I'm actually on a weekend pass Okay. this weekend. Okay. so. Okay. As long as I'm on my meds, I'm good. Yeah. I got to be back by 6 on Monday. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. Um, you know, the other thing that's been really cool here at this table this weekend is how well that Dominique has done selling all of her stuff. Yep. Including the amazing Mothra. That's right. There were pictures on Facebook of the Mothra. Scott liked it so much he slept with it one night. Yes. Um, <laughs> I tried to time that for right when Tracy was taking a drink. I yes. was really hoping for a spit take. I, I, I'm hoping some <laughs> of the, the larvae will take and I'll have my own Mothra. What are we talking about? <laughs> I'm Dominique's a Disney Etsy podcaster. <laughs> Dominique's Etsy store is House of Silent Graves. Did I get it right? Yes. Uh, link in the show notes, of course. Of course. Um, Scott, we don't just do our own podcast. You do Disney Indiana. I do Monster Kid Radio. You helped me out tremendously with Monster Kid Radio. And I've done a few things on Disney Indiana. And I think you and I did commit to doing something together in the future, a crossover episode. Uh, do you want to say what movie we're going to talk about? Well, I can't quite remember because it, you know, every time something goes by it, it gets sucked in. So I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. Hmm. 
Good point. I got no follow-up joke to any of that. <laughs> it's actually Disney's The Black Hole. Which is something that I've wanted to talk about for years on your show. So we're going to plan a crossover of some sort. I don't know quite what yet. I don't want to just play the same recording on both shows. I think it'd be interesting to do something that would force listeners, force them. Force them, yes. <laughs> no, would, we're not doing Star Wars. That would entice <laughs> them. <laughs> that would entice them to listen to both. So we'll figure something out. Yeah. You've already done Star Wars stuff for us in the past. I, I have. I have. And I've done a few voices for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a voice for your Plan 9 inspired intro. Yep. Intro. Yep. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um Speaking of Plan 9. There we go. There's my segue. There's your segue. A little, little clunky, but there it is. <laughs> there it is. We are doing the Plan 9 by 9 podcast. As of this recording, the third episode has come out. Uh, the fourth one is in post-production uh, with Kenny. He's going to be on it. We've had David Heath. We had Lord Bloodraw. And then, of course, our favorite Dominique, Dominique Lamsey's on the show uh, so far. We've got some other people coming. Kenny, Chris McMillan, uh our wives. Oh, yeah, our wives. I was trying to blank. <laughs> Both Tracy and Bren will be on a future episode. So one thing that we've been doing on the show, one of my favorite segments, and it was your idea. Early in the conversations, we asked people what they think one of the previous plans were. You know, Plan 9 from Outer Space, your animation of the dead, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. What were one of the one, plans one through eight? That's been a lot of fun. The episode we have coming up with Evan, the creator of the comic book Lucha Mystery, Really surprised us because that he was, did all eight. <laughs> yeah, he came up with all eight plans off the top of his head, and all of them were amazing. It yeah, was we, just so good. We haven't given anybody any notice whatsoever. No. Now, we have notice, and in the final episode, we're going to talk about our previous right, plans. Right, and we're not going to spoil that now. You have to wait to the ninth episode. Exactly, but I do want to spoil something else, Scott. What's that? I kind of sort of mentioned that maybe we'll talk about what the next one will be. And I kind of feel like I want to do that here on the show. Okay. You, you up for it? Sure. It's not the black hole. No, it's not the black hole. It is perhaps Dominique's favorite movie in the whole wide world. <laughs> and I'm saying that ironically, sarcastically, very untruthfully. <laughs> uh, it is a little independent film uh, by some people whose vision... Was manure. That was his occupation. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> I was I was trying to lead into this kind of like his vision was was grander than his ability. The film was shot on basically leftover pieces of film. <laughs> uh, there's no sync sound whatsoever. All the sound was done in post. Uh, up until a few years ago, the only way you could see it is a really scratchy, beat up transfer or print. Uh, fortunately. <laughs> and the easiest way to see it up until a few years ago was with Mystery Science Theater 3000. Now, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, somebody decided they wanted to remaster it on Blu-ray, and they did. And it looks better than ever. So, listeners, have you guessed what we're talking about yet? The Wizard of Oz. Exactly. <laughs> Including the, the scene where the munchkin actually hangs himself in the background. Yes. We're, we will talk about that That's extensively. That's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> uh, we're actually going to interview some of his family. We've, we've tracked that all down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to visit his grave. It's just going to be an amazing experience. We have some experts coming on. We have some people from Led Zeppelin coming on. Yes. And, and also, if we go above our our goals and everything we're actually even going to talk about the whiz that's right that's right and we hit the big stretch goal we'll go on a trip 
to visit the locations where it was shot. Yeah, we're at, we will actually take a trip on the Yellow Brick Road and head to Oz and meet the wizard. How long are we going to do this? <laughs> as long as you want to. I can keep making those references. You know, maybe, maybe we should move on down, move on can down we also, to something else. Can we also talk about Under the Rainbow with Billy Barty? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely Carrie not. Carrie Fisher is in it in her underwear. I've seen that movie. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Chevy Chase is in it. What are we? What is happening today? <laughs> I re- okay. You know what? No. Okay. Let's be honest. What are we really going to talk about? I can't wait to hear this episode. <laughs> I can't wait to edit it. Do you want to say the movie, or do you want me to? Now go for it. You don't even want to say the words. <laughs> no, I don't. The next movies by minute style podcast from the creators of monster kid radio and the disney indiana podcast a couple of poor souls (laughs) who have no idea what they're in for are going to tackle the iconic classic world-renowned film monos the hands of fate five minutes of fate stay tuned it's coming somebody help me (laughs) consider that a warning i guess is what i'm saying I'm really looking forward to it. I cannot wait. And I really think we stumbled across what we're going to do after that, too. But I want to sit on that one. Okay. But I really love I don't the, think this the concept pod- for it. I don't think this podcast is long enough for the title of the movie anyway. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Has anybody done a Wizard of Oz minute? I would think so. I'm not signing up for it. I, I'm going to devote let's, all my energy let's, on let's do a wizard. Let's do a Wizard of Oz minute by minute. But instead of the original audio... We will do it by listening to Dark Side of the Moon. Okay, okay. <laughs> I want to see a mashup now, though. I want to see The Wizard of Oz, but instead of the man behind the curtain, it's the master. That's what I want to see. I, I am seriously, <laughs> for this podcast, I am considering buying myself a master's robe and podcasting in the robe. Fantastic. For that podcast, I'm considering... It'll be great for an audio podcast. It will. It really will be. For that podcast, I'm considering lusting over your robe as you're podcasting in it for the podcast. <laughs> you want to play the classic five scott sure all right let's let's do some monster kid radio business okay card number one is from the hammer deck oh boy have you seen taste the blood of dracula and blood from the mummy's tomb i've seen taste the blood of dracula you know what if you've not seen blood from the mummy's tomb this is probably an unfair question to ask you okay you would like blood from the mummy's tomb i like taste the blood of Draf- dracula quite a bit if only there was a way for us to talk about Hammer films and, and have a reason for us to watch these movies. <laughs> I, I've actually been asked about that a couple of times if it's coming back recently. So. You know, we keep teasing it. We keep talking about it. And we have raw audio for like three episodes now, I believe so. I believe Including so. the infamous Casey Passing a Kidney Stone yes, episode. That, that we do, I do have the audio, raw audio for that one. Not edited yet. So, maybe? Yep. Okay. I, I will get in touch with Casey's uh, um, kidney stone and see if he's still interested in joining us. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Really now, the classic five. What classic monster movie would you show as part of a double feature with King Kong? Plan nine from outer space. Really? Yes, because I would promote our podcast with it. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Brilliance. Card number two. <laughs> Is there a King Kong minute? I would be surprised if there's not. Mm. If only we weren't doing the really <laughs> off-the-wall ones. Okay, card number two. What Boris Karloff role could have or should have been played by Lugosi? That's a good question. 
That's a very good question. I mean, I think I've made it known on this podcast before that one of my favorite Karloff films is Targets, playing an aged. Have we talked about that here on the show? I know. I, know, I think I think I brought it up on on Classic Five before. Okay. Targets is phenomenal. Because I think this question I've actually answered before with Targets. You are absolutely right. How fascinating would that have been? <laughs> yes. If Loki, if Lugosi had lived, I just called him Loki. If Lugosi had lived long enough. <laughs> now I want to see Tom Hiddleston in it. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston is Bella Lugosi? In, in Targets, in Boris Karloff's role. He could do it. He could do it. He, yeah. So that's... So that's it. I want Tom Hiddleston playing Bela Lugosi, playing Boris Karloff in Targets. <laughs> Card number three. What was the most recent Universal monster movie you've watched? Bride of Frankenstein on Sven Gulli. A couple, oh, okay. Couple, uh, actually, I watched my recording on my DVR last week. Right on. Uh, I have not. I've fallen behind on my Sven Gulli, uh, and I've made the sad decision to clear them off the DVR because I was running out of room and I just haven't had time to watch them. What or how was his presentation? Did he do anything cool with it? Oh, he always he does co- things cool with everything he does. I, I really enjoy his uh, his work, so. Oh, very cool. Oh, another uh, universal card. Dwight Fry is Renfield or Fritz? Renfield. Yeah? Yeah, I like both of them, but slightly more Renfield. Okay. Final card, William Castle or Bert I. Gordon? I'm trying hard, and I know this is going to sound bad. I cannot remember John Goodman's character's name. Lawrence Wolsey. That's who I pick. I go off the board and go Lawrence Wolsey. (laughs) There we go. Hey, you know what? He's kind of an amalgam of those two with a little bit of Hitchcock. Yes. So, yeah, that's that's my choice. Right on. Cool. You know, we haven't done any late-night Classic Fives like we did in past years, so uh, I think tonight I'm going to load up on caffeine and bust the deck out. Got to play it with my friends, man. Yep. Got to do the big round robin. It'll be fun. When we started doing the, this Classic Five this time, I seriously considered answering every question with Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> but I just couldn't make it wait work after the second one. <laughs> if somebody other than Ed Wood would have directed Plan 9 from Outer Space, who would you like to see direct it? Tim Burton. Of that era. <laughs> William Castle. You think so? Yeah. I would like to have seen what he would have done in the theater. I, I bet we would have had the model spaceships flying over the crowd. Either that or, or light, like to have some like Kegel, Kegel lights. Not Kegel. <laughs> <laughs> so every time Vampire gets you, the Kegel muscles are exercised. No. <laughs> Oh my Scott Again I am the Disney podcaster. <laughs> the big the big lights in the front when the mm-hmm. lights go over the cemetery just flash the audience oh, and yeah. blind them for a second because that's safe. Uh, and then and then have uh at the first half of the movie you have a, a short ghoul walking around and in the second half of the movie a taller ghoul with the cape over his face walking around the theater. Brilliant. Yeah, just give some <laughs> hire the local chiropractor to walk around exactly. with the, exactly. That would be it. <laughs> That would be it. We need to just... Mm, we probably ought to move on. <laughs> what would Monos have looked like if Ed Wood had directed it? It might have been watchable. It would have been more women. The the <laughs> cat fight would have been different. Especially that era of Ed it, Wood. You say it depend, yeah, that era of Ed Wood. Yeah. It might have had a different rating. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, man. But can you imagine Criswell as the master? 
I want that oh. now. I absolutely want that oh now. Oh my! Well, we're, we are going to get that because Josh Kennedy has committed to do the ma- master and or Torgo voice for the as Criswell. Well, not as Criswell, but he's our Criswell and Platinum. Right. right. Now, I want at least one outtake of him doing Master's lines as Criswell. Please, please, Joshua, if you if you hear this, please. So he, I, he barely knows who we are. Come on. True. You know, he's a big name hanging out with the hammer. That's true. But but if you <laughs> you know, if somebody plays this for you or or something, somehow you hear this, I want to hear Criswell reading some of the Master's lines. That would be awesome. Criswell is a master, and like Paul Marco is Torgo or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. that would be good. So, who would Breckenridge play? Who would play that role? No, who would he play in in who Monos? Would, who would he play in Monos? Would he play the uh, the father? I mean, I'm trying to think of what other guys there are in the movie. <laughs> I cannot imagine. No, he could be. He could be the cop. Yeah, he could be the cop. He could be one of the brides. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I really wish we had that on mic. <laughs> Tor Johnson. Tor- Torgo. Have him as Torgo. <laughs> wow. That would be a really different take on that character. But I'd like to see it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a different incarnation of. What is this character's name in Bride of the Monster? Is somebody isn't Bobo is coming to mind. That's not right, is it? Lobo. Yeah, that's it. Lobo. That's it. <laughs> what are we talking about, Scott? <laughs> I always love the the Bride of the Monster on MST3K when. Um, Lagosi's doing one of these things mm-hmm. and they go sleep in heavenly peace <laughs> for, for those of you who are not at the table right now Scott just did the the Lagosi whammy yeah, thing the, he does the, the finger finger putting the whammy on you yeah <laughs> so, so Taurus Torgo who would play Mike the dad that's uh, trying to think of what Jeff. would regular Jeff. Yeah, Jeff Trunt. That's that's the character name. Yeah, 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 whoever that guy was. <laughs> the cop with the incredible, who's got like past the highest marks on the gun safety exam. Yeah, that cop. But see now, if we, if, if, if we did this, I would like draft my dog into the dog role. Oh, of course. Yeah, I don't Cos- think Cosmo would, would be there. Yeah. Vampira, the mom, or would she be another bride? She'd be another bride. Yeah, so she doesn't have to talk. Because <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want to talk. <laughs> this is this is turning into something in my brain that can never possibly be and probably shouldn't. So why don't we wrap up, Scott? Well, no, well I, I, w- I was going to give away something from a, a later episode of Plan 9, and oh, I'm, no, not, no. I'm not going to do it. No, 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 no. Those are tease people. I was just trying to figure out how we would get Manos connected to the movie that we connected oh okay plan well, nine to i already teased that a little bit 
Yeah. I already teased that a little bit. The, the, the it's shared a, it, plan Nineverse. Yes, it's, it's another unified. Another classic yeah. horror movie. How could we get Manos in there with those two movies? And I'll leave that as a tease. Maybe a listener can come up with that once they hear what movie we uh, have hooked up. And tell you what, I'm going to turn into a contest right now. I, I, I'm committing to this right now. Some, once people hear that episode of Plan Nine from Outer Space, Plan and you'll Nine, know it Plan when Nine. you and you'll know it when you hear it. If you can find a creative way to link Monos the Hands of Fate to Plan Nine from Outer Space, the best answer will get a bag of fertilizer. Awesome. Signed by me and Scott. What do you think? <laughs> Good. Awesome. I, I, I am now formulating an idea. I actually have a, a, a slight bit of an idea. I think I think Scott and Derek probably have to be disqualified from this contest. Yes, true. And okay. I, but I'm not going to give it here now because I'm not going to ruin the, the awesome go. connection that we make. There we go. So, see, that's a way to tease people to listen to the show. It's like, so you have to listen for when the contest happens. Yes, and there then, you go. And, and Scott and I, I know so many m- people want that fertilizer. Right, right. Scott and I will sign some manure for you. Yes. <laughs> Is it legal to mail that? No, probably not. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Let's call it good there, because okay. if we don't stop. 